Thank you. And thank you so much for, for your prayers. It is a joy to be with you, to be able to come and, and preach the word again. Um, I, I, I know you have been praying fervently for me. And friends, I really do believe that it's your prayers that have kept me alive. The, uh, the reading today is from the fourth chapter of 1 John. I guess we stand to read, right? And, and what, what is it? When, when you got it, say so. When you got it, say so. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of God and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this is the love of God manifest toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is in the world, so are we. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. That's perhaps my favorite chapter in the Bible, and my favorite verse 
is from that chapter. That verse is, is really a summary of the whole Bible. That verse is really a summary of the whole Christian life, and I'm talking about 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Or as many of the other translations and manuscripts say simply, we love because he first loved us. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes and unpack, try to unpack some of the truth in that verse and the context of, uh, of, of this chapter. And so we start with first things first. God first loved us. To say God first loved us, God loved us from the foundation of the world. He chose us and loved us before the world was created. Jeremiah says he loves us with an everlasting love. This passage tells us that one of the ways that we know God's love is by the Christmas miracle, by, by what theologians call the incarnation. If you're, ta- if you're taking notes, the first point is God loves us in the incarnation. 1 John 4, 2 and 3 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. It seems like when John, by the time John wrote this letter near the, nearer the end of his life, some strange ideas had developed about Jesus. Some, some philosophical types had gotten involved, and they said, you know, Jesus was so good. Jesus was so perfect. Jesus was so pure and so loving. He couldn't have really been a human being. He must have been a spirit. There, there were people who believed that Jesus didn't cast a shadow, that, that Jesus was just sort of a, a phantom of, of goodness that, that walked around. And, and John counters that at the beginning of his letter by saying this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. In other words, John is saying Jesus was a real guy. He wasn't a phantom. He, he really was a person. On the other hand, there were those who believed, and there are many who seem to believe this today, that Jesus was a religious genius, that Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived, that Jesus was a, a very, very special man. And that's high praise unless Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Because when we go back to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John starts like this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only glory of the as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's happening here is not, is not that there is a phantom, a fantasy, who appears to be human and is not, 
nor is what's happening here a, a great man, a religious leader, a religious genius who shows us things about God that we couldn't figure. What's happening here is that God himself has become a human being. Wow. Wow. What amazing love. He left the glories of heaven to come and put on flesh and blood. Folks, flesh and blood can hurt. Flesh and blood can be weak and tired. And he knew that. And he chose it for us. He showed his love for us in the miracle of Christmas, in the incarnation, in becoming, in God himself becoming a human being. In Philippians, Paul puts it this way, that Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. i got to go on with the rest of that passage. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At Christmas we celebrate an amazing love, that God himself became a human being. God shows us his love in the incarnation. But the incarnation was a prelude. It was a necessary step to something greater. As amazing as it is, as astonishing, as mind-boggling as it is that God became a human being, that was small potatoes. He became a human being for a particular reason. John, 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we love God, but, he, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A, pre, a propitiation makes what's wrong right. Many translations say the atonement, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, the, the Bible says a great deal about how that atoning sacrifice, how that atoning sacrifice works. There are really basically three perspectives. The first perspective is what the atoning sacrifice, what the cross, what the death of Jesus did to God. And that is that it defined, it, it, I'm sorry, it satisfied defined justice. We had sinned against God, a penalty needed to be paid. We could not afford to pay the penalty. And so in Jesus Christ, God became a human being to pay the price that we could not pay. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 puts it this way. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Imagine for a moment that 
this booklet is the record of my sins. Very small print. <laughs> Let this hand represent me. Here I am with my sin. Let this hand represent Jesus. God incarnate. Pure. Sinless. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My sin, your sin, our iniquity, all of our failures, the punishment, the justice is satisfied in him. The atonement, one of the things the atonement does from God's perspective is that it satisfies divine justice. But there's another perspective. It had a great impact on the devil, on evil, on darkness. It, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus was the defeat of the devil, was the defeat of evil, was the defeat of death. A, a verse that, that, I, that I love hearing around here that is, is often quoted is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, it's, it's as if the cross and, and, and resurrection were a secret spy mission. Special services. The, 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 the strategy is that the enemy thinks he has won when he conquers Jesus, when he kills Jesus. But instead, when Jesus rises from the dead, he conquers evil. He conquers death. He wins, and we are delivered. The, the, atonement, the, the atonement has an effect on God. It, it satisfies divine judgment, divine judgment. It has an effect on evil. It breaks evil's power and delivers us from evil. And then it has an effect on us. Our sins separate us from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Clean before my Lord I stand, and in me not one blemish does he see. Wow. What amazing love. God first loved us. And this passage tells us that God first loved us through the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas, and through the atonement the death and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation. So what do we do in response to such great love? Well, the answer is obvious. We love God. And that's the next point. That's number two. We love God. Jesus said one time, Hear, Israel. He says, the, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. We love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're sort of speaking God's love languages. What does it mean to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, we love God with our heart when we trust him when we believe him, when we trust him for salvation, 
and when we trust him in all of the, the areas of life, all of the intricacies and, and details of life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We, believe, we love God with all our heart by believing in him. We love him with all our soul in worship and praise like we just experienced. We love him with our mind by studying the Bible and Christian teaching, by hearing the word. We love him with all our strength in obedience and repentance in doing the things that he says to do. God first loved us. So we love God. But we don't stop at loving God. We love other people as well. Jesus said, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We are to love everyone. We are to love everyone. There's no, there's no lines on neighbor. You know, we, we live in a world where culture wars are very strong. And there are really some stupid ideas that get pushed around in our culture today. But our response is not to defeat those ideas, and especially not to defeat those people. Our job is to love them. Our job is to love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there, again, there is no limit to that. It means your next-door neighbor. It means people in Iran. It means people in Congress you don't like. But there's a step beyond loving one another as we love ourselves or loving others as we love ourselves. And that's what this passage talks about. It's talking about loving one another. You know, I, um, I might love Aldo like I love myself. If I love Aldo like I love myself, I love Aldo a lot. But Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. If I love Lewis like Jesus loved me, I love Lewis a lot more than I love Aldo. In the Christian community, we are called to a love greater than love your neighbor as yourself. The whole world, yeah, love. Love the whole world as yourself. But, but the people in here, the people in the kingdom, you don't just love them the way you love yourself. You love them the way Jesus loved them. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. At the, at the Last Supper, in John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you may also love one another. There's a special love in the Christian community. Now I need to hasten to say that love is more than a feeling. Love is more than just squishy 
emotions. Love does stuff. Love makes a difference. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, But whoever has this world's good, look out, here we go. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed or in truth. Love meets needs. It meets physical needs. Um, there's a story of uh, Saint, Saint Martin of Tours. He was a soldier. And as he was marching one day, a Roman soldier, and as he was marching one day, he came across a beggar. And it was cold. And so Martin took his Roman cape, and with his sword, he cut it in half and gave half of it to the beggar so that he would have something to warm himself. That night, Martin had a vision. He saw Jesus in heaven, surrounded by the angels, there by the throne of God. And, and there, on the throne of God, he saw Jesus wearing half of a Roman soldier's cape. I told that story to one of the kids in the youth group of my former church, and he said, wow, I bet he wished he'd given him the whole thing. As much as you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. Love meets needs. Love shows kindness. Love shows forgiveness. Man, that one's hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, you're right and they're wrong. That's it. That's all there is. You're right and they're wrong. But that doesn't matter. Love shows forgiveness. Love shows self-sacrifice. As Jesus laid down his life for us, we're called to lay down our lives for one another. This is getting real, isn't it? But it's not, just, it's not just material needs. And it's not just emotional needs that we're called to meet. You, you know Penn and Teller? The, the magicians, Penn and Teller? There's a, there's a video on YouTube, check it out sometime, where, where Pendulette talks about, Pendulette is a very vocal atheist. And he talks about a man who came to one of his shows in Vegas and gave him a Bible. And he said, I'm probably not going to read it. But I really respect that man. It took a lot of courage for him to do that. And he said, if you know the way to eternal life, and you don't tell somebody, how much, do you, how much must you hate that person? Evangelism. Sharing our faith is love. I know, we think, oh, well, I don't want to be pushy, I don't want to... No, 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 no. If poor people need food, give them food. And if lost people need the gospel, give them the gospel. Love meets needs. This is hard. How do we love that much? I can't. I can't love that much. I bet 
you can't love that much either. But did you hear what 1 John 4, 7 says? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. You see, when, when Jesus tells us, love one another as I have loved you, he's not saying, muster up all the love you can and give it to people. Just take all the, gather all the love you can find and, and, and pull it together and, and, and give it to other people. It won't be enough. It won't be enough. Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Wow. What if we take the Bible literally? What if that means that God's own love is poured into our hearts? That I don't have to, 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 to muster up enough strength to love Lewis as I love myself. God will do it. One of the great heroes of, of, the, of the faith in the 20th century was a lady named Corey Ten Boone. Corey was a teenager in Holland during World War II, and her family hid Jews from the Nazis. They were caught, and they were sent to concentration camps. And all of her family died. Corey and her beloved sister, Betsy, were, <clears throat> pardon me, were at Ravensbrook. And um, they, of course, were so badly treated. And at Ravensbrook, even Betsy died. Corey was the only one of the family who survived. After the war, she went around to different churches telling her story. And one night she was at a church in Munich, I believe, and a man came up to her afterwards and said, Fraulein, how great it is that what you say is true, that all our sins are forgiven. And she recognized him. He was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. She remembered his leers. She remembered how he was involved in Betsy's death. And he stuck out his hand to shake hands with her. And she said, I couldn't do it. I, who go around the world talking about love, I could not love this man. And I said, Lord, you will have to love him through me. And she said when she took her his hand, it was as if a current of electricity passed through them. And she really, genuinely was able to love him. We love because he first loved us. God loves us in the incarnation. God loves us in the atonement. We love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. We love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We love one another as Christ loves us. Love is more than a feeling. 
And we do this by letting God's love flow through us. We love because he first loved us.